Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, tonight I want to continue looking at, you know, or I guess get back to, because it's been a few weeks, um, get back to looking at the creeds and confessions uh, that help summarize what it is that we believe the creeds and confessions take the scripture and put everything into categories so that we understand what it is. And, you know, this is something that's near and, and dear to my heart because something that I'm very passionate about is for people to know God's word so then they can live out God's word. Um, I kind of use that as a part of my Easter sermon. You know, it's one thing to just know, but, you know, there, throughout scripture, there's this call to obey. Um, even when you, you read in Scripture, you know, uh, Paul will say something to the effect of, you know, I pray that you have the knowledge of this, that, and the other thing, or even Peter will write something like that. I mean, it's not only talking about head knowledge, but it's talking about a knowledge that will be put into uh, practice. And, and so that is what I feel my calling to ministry is, to not only just give you Bible knowledge, but have you have that knowledge so that you're able to live it out and be able to inter interact with this world from a biblical worldview. Um, you'll probably hear me say something to the effect in, in maybe different ways, but, you know, I, I, I want us to have biblical knowledge for biblical living. Knowledge should turn into uh, living. Um, you can't live right without knowing right, but you're not going to know right unless you live out what it is that you purport uh, to know. Because, so the two go hand in hand. And that's why we're going through these creeds and these confessions. Uh, you know, they, 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 they summarize what Scripture says about some very important subjects. Subjects that are very much under attack in our day and, and age. And so the creeds and confessions came from a place of uh, wanting to teach and wanting to refute error, uh, but, but the, they were used through uh, the centuries past as, as teaching tools so that Christians know what they believe and then they can live it out. And they, they, these creeds and confessions exist to help the church know how to live in light. Of truth and so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing I want us to know the truth I'm trying to teach so we know the truth to live out the truth especially in these dark days when truth is under attack in all sorts of different ways and so the the Cree the confessions that um, I'm looking at right now it grew up during the time of the Puritans around the late 1600s mid to late 1600s um, they're, they're about. Um, and, and the Puritans knew that it was very important to have good theology. And, and good theology was nailed down during the, the Reformation. But, you know, the Reformation was quite new at that, at that time. But even in the short amount of time between, you know, Luther doing his, his theses and then, uh, you know, the Reformation growing from there, there still were heresies that um, arose even beyond, you know, the Roman Catholic stuff. So the Puritans wanted to ensure that people were left with a pure biblical religion. Um, and so those Puritans who had more Presbyterian leanings, 
uh, they wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith. And then years later, the Baptists came out with a conf some confessions culminating in the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which was agreed upon at an assembly in 1689, even though it was written years before that. Um, and since we're Baptists, we're, you know, that's the confession that we're going to look at, but they based their confession on the Westminster Confession of Faith. So really what they did was they just took the Westminster Confession of Faith and then they turned it Baptist. Well, we got to convert this from Presbyterian to Baptist, so that's kind of what they did. So, you know, I, I won't bother, you know, listing both the Westminster Confession and the ba Baptist Confession. They're pretty much the same. They're very similar, but uh, I will highlight where some of the changes have uh, been made or things that have uh, been added. Uh, the Confessions of Faith are divided into chapters, and then each chapter has a paragraph, um, and, you know, each paragraph is numbered. So if I say, you know, London Baptist Confession 1-1, that means chapter 1, paragraph 1, uh, things like that. Well, the whole of, of chapter 1 deals with what we believe about Holy Scripture, because that's how we come to know God. That's how we, we come to know salvation. That's how we come to know uh, everything, and we get to know Christ, so that's why it's very important. And so I want to read uh, the first paragraph of uh, the Confession, 1-1, and this is what they wrote. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church, to preserve and propagate the truth better, and to establish and comfort the church with great, greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world. The Lord put this revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. Now, the first sentence of this first paragraph is not found in the Westminster Con Confession. Historians, you know, they, they speculate about why the Baptists added this. Um, some believe it's because the Quakers uh, became a, a thing. I don't know if you know anything about the Quakers other than the dude on the oatmeal uh, box, you know, Quaker oatmeal. That they were actually a religious movement, you know. They started right about that time. And unfortunately, there were some Baptists leaving to go to the Quakers. But what the Quakers taught is that the Bible is kind of a secondary revelation kind of thing because they believed in what they called inward light. You know, you just kind of know. You know, you get this feeling or something. And, you know, they believed that God would speak directly and personally to all people 
you don't really need scripture. God will just do his thing in you. And so, you know, that, that might be there to refute that. Others believe it was added because of the Roman Catholic emphasis of, you know, the church and the Pope speaking, um, you know, it's called ex cathedra. When, the, when you hear, you know, they say, well, the Pope spoke ex cathedra, that means from the throne. And supposedly they say that when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, that, that, that's on the same level as any other revelation in scripture. And, you know, he's speaking directly for God. And so that first sentence might be in refutation of that. Some say it's because of the Presbyterians and their paedo-baptism, you know, baptizing babies. But, um, you know, as far as like the Quakers and the Roman Catholics and, and those who might hold to similar uh, views, that first sentence says, you know what, that's refuted. Because we believe that the Bible is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of faith. The only. It says the only standard or rule, uh, some of them say. When it says only, it asserts its uniqueness. This is the unique recorded revelation of God. And the confession says that it is sufficient, meaning it it is all that we need when it comes to matters of faith and practice, when it comes to these matters of what to believe, what to believe about God, what to believe about life. Now, when we claim that the Bible is sufficient, we are not claiming that the Bible contains all truths that there are to be known. Because the Bible does not tell us that 2 plus 2 equals 4. The Bible doesn't tell us that E equals MC squared. However, the subjects that the Bible does talk about are truthful, and we don't have to look to any other source for that truth. It's all that we need. It is sufficient. I think of the parable that Jesus gave of um, the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story about the rich man and Lazarus? Lazarus was poor, very poor. The rich man obviously was very rich and ignored Lazarus, and then they both died. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. And, uh, you know, the rich man went elsewhere. He went, he went to hell. And, um, you know, the rich man, sees, again, remember, it's a parable, but, you know, sees Abraham and Lazarus afar and, you know, just give me a drop of water and things like that. But the, the rich man asks Abraham, okay, send Lazarus back to earth, let the dead ri rise so that he can go warn my brothers. Now listen to the rest of the exchange. In Luke 16, verses 29 through 31. In this parable, it says, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he, the rich man, said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He, Abraham, said to him, the rich man, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Jesus, through the parable, is saying that, that these brothers, they have the Scripture, and that is the only God-given tool for knowing God and His ways and, and for them to find the way of salvation. Even if something spectacular, like someone would rise from the dead, that doesn't have the sufficiency or power that Scripture has. 
Scripture is the only sufficient standard. Now, the confession also says that it is certain. It is the certain standard. All of the Bible is true within its historical, cultural, literary, and religious context. I mean, within the context, it's true. Now, Russ Bush and Tom Nettles, they explain this, this concept of certainty. They say that none of the statements of Scripture fails to represent reality accurately. This is the same idea that is properly conveyed by the word inerrant as it is used in scholarly evangelical discussions today. Certain refers only to the character of what is actually written. It affirms that nothing misleading or erroneous exists in Scripture. So there's no, nothing erroneous in Scripture taken within the context of what, how it was written. But then the goes on to say that it is also infallible. And, you know, you might think, well, what's the difference between inerrant and infallible? I mean, infallible kind of just adds a little bit more strength to the punch, so to speak. I mean, it just gives a little bit more of a punch there. Because if we define certainty and as inerrancy, and that means that the Bible doesn't contain errors, um, infallibility kind of takes it up a notch and proclaims that Scripture doesn't have the capability of containing error. It is impossible for Scripture to err. Not only does it not contain errors, it's impossible for it to contain errors. And, you know, you, you, you might hear all the time, all, all these liberals or unbelievers, whatever, that say, um, oh, what about all these contradictions in the Bible? Well, it's only a contradiction because you're reading it wrong. Or you're not looking at the background, you're not looking at the context. I know it's hard to believe that unbelievers would twist Scripture and take it out of context, but that's usually what they're doing. If they would just look at the Word of God found within its context, oh, there it is. And so remember, this sufficiency, this certainty of what, what Scripture entails, that what it contains, it, it, it is our standard, it is our rule, and the confession says, well, okay, what is it that it is certain about and, and sufficient about? And so um, the confession says that it is the standard or it is the rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. That's where Scripture points us. I mean, no, it's not going to tell us about quantum physics or the speed of light, but what it tells us about God, what it tells about us about His works, what it tells us about the salvation that He gives, what it tells us about our expected obedience, what it tells us about ethics and morals. It is sufficient. Or to sum it up, the Bible tells the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is God's special revelation. Now, let me finish my thoughts before you start throwing things at me. The Bible is God's special revelation, but it is not God's only revelation. The Bible is the only sufficient revelation of God, but the scriptures actually tell us about another form of revelation. 
And the confession talks about this other form of revelation. The confession calls it the light of nature, the works of creation, the works of providence. Theologians will call it natural revelation or general revelation. What it's talking about is God revealing himself through creation, through his works and acts within that creation. It refers to God working in history, his providential movement of history. And and so it's talking about how God has revealed himself within the creation that he made because God created the universe and everything that's in it out of nothing. There was nothing other than God, and all of a sudden there was something. And, and God's imprint is everywhere. You know, you might be able to look at certain works of art and, and know immediately who, who did it. I mean, other than the fact, too, that, you know, usually the artists have their signature right there at the bottom. But, you know, you look at a piece of art and you, you can say, that's definitely a Picasso, that's a Van Gogh, that's a Monet, or something like that. Tell you the truth, that's about all the, all the artists that I know. Uh, I know, I, ooh, that sounded impressive. He used big names. Nah, I just knew the only, the only ones I could think of. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, you can look at them and say, well, obviously, you know, Picasso, you can tell a Picasso because it's just weird. Uh, but, and things like that. But you can tell because their imprint is all over it on top of the signature that's usually at the bottom. Well, guess what? When you look at creation, you can just see God's imprint everywhere. His signature is written all over the place. He is there. And so he reveals himself in, in creation in this way. And that's what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 19. I'll just read verses 1 through uh, 3. Um, but this is what the psalmist wrote. He said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Maybe another way of kind of reading that that third verse there is there's no speech and there's no words, there's no voice to be heard, and yet you can look at all of creation and it's screaming out, God! It doesn't have to, creation doesn't have to talk because it just, in itself, is crying out that there is God. And the Apostle Paul recognized this as well, that creation stands as a witness that there is a God. And mankind can look at this creation and, and can know some things about God. So in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes this. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So creation cries out, there's a God. This didn't come from nothing. There was a creator. But, and well, I mean, even the, the confession um, tells us that the light uh, that this light of God, this light of nature, demonstrates His goodness, His wisdom, His power, 
So they're without excuse. Just like Paul says, they are without excuse. There's no excuse not to believe that there is a God. All you have to do is look up at the sun, look up at the stars, look at creation, look at the mountains, look at the oceans, look at all the animals that there are. You can't help but know there's a designer there. That there's a powerful God who brought it all into existence. Humanity has no excuse not to seek out God. I'm sure we've all been to some beautiful place, be it the mountains of Colorado, be it the beaches and oceans of Gulf Shores or Florida, or, you know, somewhere. And you, you look at beauty, the beauty of the world, and you, you just wonder how can people not believe there is a God? Because as Paul said, they are blind, they are ignorant, they are sinful, and they misread everything that they see. So Paul continues that thought in, in Romans, picking up in verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged God for idols. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen and amen. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Humanity is without excuse. God has revealed himself through his creation. Creation says there is a God. However, as the confession points out to us, the point being, there is something that this natural general revelation cannot do. Natural general revelation cannot tell you how to be saved. Natural general revelation cannot tell you how to be in a relationship with God. All it can do is tell you there is a God. But how do you know what to do with that okay there's a god now what well the confession tells us it is not sufficient to give them this creation is not sufficient to give the knowledge of god and his will that is necessary for salvation and so for humanity to know well first that they needed to be saved and second how to be saved god had to reveal himself and god had to reveal his redemptive plan through Jesus Christ, and he did this through Holy Scripture. Through a 1,500-year period with over 40 authors, God progressively revealed his plan of redemption, his plan of salvation that led to the cross, and then from there, what birthed after the cross, namely the church and the Great Commission. Or, as the confession states it, it pleased God at different times and in various ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church. Or the writer of Hebrews, that comes straight from Hebrews, Hebrews 1.1, where the writer of Hebrews said, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to different people at different times, progressively revealing the Old Testament, pointing to the cross, the New Testament looking back at the cross, God revealed himself, and God revealed his plan of salvation. And what the confession says, 
the reason this was done was so that the church would have the truth and the church could share the truth and so the church would be established and have a solid foundation so that they could stand strong against sin and Satan. God has given his revelation and he has preserved his revelation in Scripture so that the church would have a sure foundation, so that the church would have a fountain of comfort to run to, seeing all the craziness of this world. They would have a place, a, a well from which to draw truth. And therefore, God committed that revelation to writing. And once that writing was done, it was done. God no longer reveals himself in these ways. As one author stated the matter, the scriptures are the foundation left by the apostles and prophets, and they provide us with a perfect rule by which to order our lives. Since general revelation is insufficient and God's former ways of revealing himself have ceased, scripture is necessary. You know, meaning that there, there are no more prophets and apostles through whom he, he gives this revelation. We need scripture because God is not going to raise up new prophets to give new revelation. As one Puritan explained it, he said, expect no new revelation from God, for God has established his word forever. He will not alter the thing that has gone out of his mouth. Heaven and earth shall pass away before one jot or tittle of God's word shall pass away. Expect no new revelation nor any other prophet to be raised up to discover the mind of God to you or to make void anything that is not written or to teach you otherwise to believe, act, or do that you may be saved. Scripture is where it's found. God has revealed to us what we need to know to be saved. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. The gospel is signed, sealed, and delivered and the whole thing is about Jesus Christ. Amen. That's where it all ends up. You know, when, when Jesus was having his little, you know, you want to call them spats, arguments, whatever, with, with the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders at the time, he told them, look, you look at Moses and the prophets to be saved, and yet those are what testify of me. It's all about Jesus Christ. He is the way of salvation. He is the subject of revelation. He is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Almighty. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. My question to you is, do you know him? Oh, I want to I want I want to read scripture for some inspiration. You know what scripture will give inspiration? Scripture will give comfort. Scripture will give encouragement. Scripture will give refreshment for the soul. But we can never tear it away from the fact that that is found in the subject of scripture. Jesus Christ, he is our encouragement. He is our refreshment. He is our comfort. He is our all in all. He is our everything. Do you know him?
I mean, obviously, it has to start with believing upon him that he is the Son of God, that he, he did die on the cross for our sins, that he did rise again, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he will come again one day to judge the living and the dead. But then what are you going to do with him? What are, if you're a Christian, what are you going to do with the revelation that God has given? When you look at general revelation and you know, being a Christian, I mean, if you're a Christian, you have to believe in God. I mean, that's the definition of a Christian is you believe in God, you believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for you. When you look at creation knowing that it was created by his hand, does it cause you to worship him? Does it cause you, I mean, not to literally bow down, maybe will, but at least in your heart to prostrate your heart before him and just praise his holy name? What is this revelation that God has given? What is it doing for you or doing to you? You want to know Christ better. You want to grow closer to God. Are you in his word? Being a Southern Baptist church, there was the, there was the conservative resurgence, the fight for the Bible. It seems like we're having to fight it again. But supposedly, a couple decades ago, we won the fight for the Bible the truth of the Bible, the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, knowing that every word has been inspired by God, and yet now, having won the battle, do we just ignore it? It has no place in our lives. And then, and then people complain, well, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just not getting anything out of church. Well, look, if you only eat once a week, yeah, you're going to starve. If you're only in the Bible once a week, you're going to spiritually starve. I, I don't know about you, but physically, I eat a lot. I, well, I'd say I need to, but I guess I don't need to eat as much as I do. But I know that at least if I'm going to stay healthy and live, I need to eat more than once a week. If you want to be spiritually healthy, you definitely need to consume more than once a week. This is all that we need to know him, to love him, to serve him, to live for him. So commit yourself to getting into his word daily and see how your life changes. It's amazing. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. 
We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.